Heavenly Father, as we come uh, now into your presence, we ask for the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Help us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, and all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. Now, our scripture passage for the first Sunday in Advent uh, is Matthew chapter 1 and verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, so far, the holy and inerrant uh, Word of God. Now, in 45 years of ministry, I've preached on this passage and other Advent passages many, many times. Hard to say something new and fresh. This is a passage that obviously speaks about Mary, but it also speaks about Joseph. Matthew has given us a genealogy in chapter 1. There's much debate and discussion about it. I won't go into it this morning. But this is the genealogy of Joseph. And Luke, who has a different genealogy, is the genealogy of Mary. Matthew has divided it all very neatly. He's missed out a few people because he has three fourteens in the genealogy. And all of that to say that Joseph has lineage and pedigree going all the way back to Abraham. You'll notice in verse 1, the book of the genealogy, the Greek word is Genesis. I'm pretty sure Matthew is doing what John does. John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Word. 
And that's how, that's how the Old Testament begins in Hebrew. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Something from the very beginning of time itself is now being fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. I want us to see, first of all, the tremendous challenge to Joseph's faith. The tremendous challenge to Joseph's faith. He is betrothed to Mary. Uh, to, uh, I mean, he's yes, he's betrothed to Mary. And betrothed in uh, the ancient world and in the first century had a much... Um, stronger meaning than what we would call engagement. You notice in verse 19, Joseph is already referred to as a husband, and a husband, Joseph. So there was a sense in which they had already made promises as husband and wife and could be called husband and wife. They just hadn't yet got a children present. Come together, as Matthew says. And he learns that Mary is pregnant. Now, people conjecture, people who are in opposition to the miraculous post-enlightenment scholars, whoever they may be, conjecture that, you know, people were gullible in the first century. So you could talk about miracles and stuff. I can tell you with an absolute certainty that Joseph knew how babies were conceived. There was nothing gullible about it. And what is his response? To divorce her quietly? His immediate response is not, oh my word, it's a miracle. No, he, he knew what had happened. At least he thought he knew what had happened. Mary, and Mary is a young girl, perhaps younger than we want to admit. She's a young teenager. And he thinks she's been sleeping with another man, or maybe more than one. How can this possibly be? This is Nazareth. Small town. Everybody knows each other. There would be gossip. Maybe because it was a small town, people would only do it behind closed doors. Do you know what's happened to Mary? I mean, imagine it. Who's the father? You notice that in verse 19, Matthew says that he was a just man. He was a righteous man. He was a good man. He was an upright man. He was a man who believed in law and order and the good of society. He was a just man. People looked up to him. He had a reputation. 
They must have been saying, poor Joseph, you know, he deserves better than that. There, we, we were hoping for a nice wedding, and we could see these two off, and everyone would smile and be happy, and, and now she's pregnant. He could have thrown her to the gutter. He could have, well, you notice in verse 19, he was unwilling to put her to shame. In one of my first uh, lectures at seminary, a young man came up to me, and he said, why? Why do you always use shaming language? I have no idea what he was talking about. I wanted to say to him, get a helmet. Life is hard. <laughs> Joseph didn't do that. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Well, that's Matthew telling us that, but Joseph didn't know that. Let's uh, examine exactly what it is that has happened. Mary has conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. Now, Orthodox theology suggests that Jesus was of Mary, ex Maria. That is, 23 of his chromosomes were from Mary and 23 of them were from the Holy Spirit. The Y chromosome that would determine his male gender would be from the Holy Spirit. Mary was not like a, a rocket, a spaceship, carrying Jesus that had been placed inside her. No. The Holy Spirit conceived in her from her egg, I speak in non-scientific language here. It's all terribly edgy, I think. She wasn't asked her permission. The Holy Spirit just did it, and she learns after the fact. We're looking at Joseph, but Mary could have made a fuss too. God, how dare you do this without asking my permission? But it's Joseph that I want us to think about. He goes to sleep. Is it the same day? We don't know. Was it a couple of days later, a week later? We, we don't know. And he has a dream. And in the dream, an angel appears to him saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I've had a lot of dreams in my life, and I don't want to talk about any of them. I'm just glad that when I wake up, I realize 
It was just a dream. It wasn't true at all. In recent days, I'm hearing Rosemary shout at me, <laughs> Derek. And I wake up and I say, what? And she's fast asleep. So it was, it was in a dream. Imagine, imagine being told in a dream, of all things, he, he didn't see the angel with his eyes. He, he wasn't able to say to whoever it was, Gabriel or, or whoever, sit down here. Let's talk about this. It's a dream. And when he wakes up, what does he do? Joseph is told that his betrothed is fulfilling an ancient prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This this child that has been conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary is none other than God with us. This child is obviously human, but he is also divine. I, I, I don't know about you, but I would be... Uh, I think I would be terribly upset and confused. I think I might want to go back to sleep and see if there's another part of the dream that tells me a different story. This child that is born, that will be born, has come for one reason. To save us from our sins. He will save his people from their sins. That's the great problem. It's the problem of the human heart. What's wrong with the world today? Sin. What's wrong with Washington? Sin. What's wrong with the disorder and dysfunction of our society? Sin. Your sin, my sin. Sin that is the violation of God's law. Sin that must find some way to satisfy the demands of divine justice in order for it to be forgiven. And apparently, the only way that that can happen is that God would send His Son to become a human being, to be both God and man, so that ultimately He might be the means by which our sins are forgiven. There's a wonderful moment in Anselm, Anselm of Canterbury. We're talking about the 12th century. 
And uh, Anselm of Canterbury uh, wrote a book called Cur Deus Homo in Latin. Why the God-man? Why was it necessary for God to become man? Why was it necessary, this incarnation? Why is it necessary? Isn't this a little extravagant? Couldn't God just have spoken it by divine fiat and say, you are forgiven? Apparently not. And there's a character in Anselm's book called Bozo, suitably named. And he can't understand the reason for Christmas. He thinks it's all a little over the top. And someone tells him, you have not yet considered the weightiness of sin. You have not yet considered the weightiness of sin. Sin is so great that it takes the Son of God to come into this world and to be crucified in our room instead for it to be forgiven. That's what Joseph is asked to believe. It's a lot. But the second thing in this familiar story is the tremendous obedience of Joseph's faith. The tremendous obedience of Joseph's faith. In verse 25, well, 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. A dream. Talk about a miracle. That that which is conceived in the womb of his betrothed is from the Holy Spirit. And he believes it. There's no pushback. He doesn't question. There's no bartering. There's no drama of, oh, life is not fair. He took his wife. But notice in verse 25, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Perhaps he'd been told this, or perhaps he had, he had decided this of himself. My, my inclination would be to say the former. But in order to maintain the narrative of the virginal conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he married her, but there were no, how can I put it? There were no sexual relationships until she had given birth to her son. Now, that little word, until, is actually fairly significant. First of all, Joseph obeys by marrying her. Secondly, Joseph obeys by remaining celibate until Jesus is born. But then, as Matthew seems to imply, the marriage was a typical, ordinary marriage, and that Jesus has brothers and sisters. Now, Roman Catholics 
who maintain the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, which is a doctrine about Mary, not about Jesus, uh, advocate that she re perpetually remained a virgin for the purposes of worshiping her as, as the mediatrix. In the 19th uh, century, late 19th century, the Pope um, made a decree as to uh, her immaculate uh, conception that she was free from sin. And then in the middle of the 20th century, another pope made a decree that because she was free from sin, she didn't die. She ascended. She was taken up to heaven like, uh, like Elijah. There's no evidence of that. Protestants, on the other hand, don't, don't waste a minute. And, uh, for example, in John chapter 2 at the wedding in Cana in Galilee, when Mary and, and Jesus were there, there was probably uh, a marriage of a, of a relative of Mary's. And John tells us that Jesus' brothers and sisters were there, meaning, because they're both in the plural, that there were at least seven people in Jesus' family. Now, Joseph by that time has died. Joseph provides unconditional compliance to the demands that are made of him. He is overshadowed, of course, by Mary. The Gospels do not record his death. He will take Mary to Bethlehem. He will take Mary and Jesus to Egypt. He will take Mary and Jesus back up to Nazareth. We imagine Jesus in the carpenter's shop, and somewhere when Jesus was a teenager, he died, but the Gospels do not record it. He named, he called his name Jesus. He is, is Joseph. Joseph called his name Jesus. This is a ceremony that would have taken place um, eight days after Jesus' birth, the ceremony of circumcision. And it was, like baptism, a naming ceremony. In baptism, you are named into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His name is Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus. It means Savior. The Savior of the world is born. Now, people come out at Christmas that don't darken the doors of the church for the rest of the year, and we're very happy to see you here this morning, very, very happy. But I want to ask you a question, as I want to ask all of us a question. Do you know this Savior? Do you have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus? Have you asked him to forgive you your sins? Do you view him as your elder brother? Do you commune with him every day? Do you have an assurance that your sins are forgiven? They've been cast into the depths of the sea, never to be remembered no more forever. Do you have that assurance? And if you don't, call on him. You can call on him now. Or when you get home, go to a quiet place and call on Him. Ask Him to save you. 
fall on your knees and say, I'm a sinner. I deserve nothing but your condemnation, but I want your salvation, and I want it now. And He will grant that to you. It would be wonderful in my final Christmas with you that one or two or a dozen would do just that and fall on their knees and embrace this one whom Joseph called Jesus. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your Word and ask that You would hide it in our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen.